0: All right, we are live. Welcome to Peggy's Recovery Corner. We're a recovery podcast. We talk about all things recovery in relations to alcoholism, addiction, of many different kinds, and mental health. Um, today, I have a very special guest. His name is Tyson Sullivan. I've been friends with Tyson for for a while now. Um, met him in the recovery world uh we may have run in in some of the similar circles because we grew up in some of the similar areas back in the day welcome to the corner tyson thanks
1: for having me pleasure to be here
0: so good to have you here so usually the way it works is uh we're going to delve into your past want to know where you were born and raised um what your upbringing was like uh we can get into the addiction part and some of the things that happened during that time and then we get into the recovery so who is tyson sullivan well i uh
1: I guess I'll start off with my name's Tyson. I'm an alcoholic. (laughs) And uh, yeah, a little bit about my past. Um, I grew up in uh, Santa Ana, Orange County, California. Um, Been born and raised here my whole life. I still live here today. And, um, you know, grew up in a decent upbringing. I I have, you know, my parents are still married. I had a loving household, but there was also alcoholism in my household. And uh, I grew up around a lot of, uh, I remember a lot of uh, anxiety, a lot of yelling, um, a lot of, uh, you know, drunken nights. um, And and a lot of my family would come over and we would celebrate life through drinking. And um, I remember seeing that as a young kid. I also remember as a young kid uh, having a lot of racing thoughts, um, doing a lot of things that I don't think normal kids do, like always getting in fights trying to derail trains in my local neighborhood, throwing rocks at cars, um, you know, tr- just, just uh, you know, fun, normal things kids do, right? Sure. And um, yeah, and I just, uh, you know, I grew up in um, being raised uh, in Santa Ana, you know, uh, uh, it's definitely a place that's a little bit rougher around the edges in certain parts, and I definitely was, uh, you know, introduced to some of the Kids in the neighborhood that were, uh, you know, they did a lot of, they, they like to drink and do drugs, you know. And I remember taking my first drink at the age of 11. And uh, after a few beers is the first time I, I felt the quietest in my head. And I remember that feeling like it was yesterday. And then it was just off and running
0: from there. So let me get this. Tr- so how old are you? Because I'm, I'm 51 and I know that Santa Ana is a, a certain way. How old are you?
1: I am 43.
0: Okay. You're 43. So obviously like when I, I too grew, I lived in Santa Ana for a portion of my life. It was more my high school days. It was, uh, the mid eighties, um, mid to late eighties. I had ran away from home and went to stay with some friends that lived near Brook street when Brook street was, was, uh, when the spot was hot, when there was a lot of drug sales going on over there off of a Bristol and 17th and I moved down to Westminster and, and 17th too. And so, uh, I, I remember. Up, I
1: grew up off Seventeenth Street too.
0: Okay, so you know, like, yeah, when you say rough, like uh, during the time that you were growing up in Santa Ana, were you kind of like the standout white kid? I mean, was was the majority of the people Hispanic or were, there were some blacks and Mexicans, but was there uh, any whites really in your neighborhood?
1: There was. I, I lived. I lived off Seventeenth and Grand, and uh, behind Guarantee Chevrolet. There's a little quiet neighborhood by santiago park those houses right there pretty pretty nice and quiet and there's there's a lot of uh you know uh white families in there um but i grew up with predominantly hispanic uh neighborhoods the schools i went to were predominantly hispanic and there was maybe one or two other you know it was just all it was all mexican and a couple whites that's that was my experience
0: but just growing up there from childhood, like, did you just kind of blend in and you got along with people or were, no, did they pick, did they pick, on, did they pick yeah. on you or what?
1: No, I, yeah, I grew up fighting from first grade. Right. Um, I I remember uh, literally getting jumped uh, since first grade. Um, and uh, looking back, I'm, I'm grateful that the homies were rough with me. Cause it, it definitely made me a, a you know, a survivor and a, and, and you had to, you, you either toughened up, or you got spit out, you know? And, um, yeah, I just remember like boxing was a part of my life right. since I was in first grade and I okay. was always getting in fights with gang members in the area of Santa Ana.
0: Right. Right. And then, um, were you, when was the first time that you ever used a substance that you can, remember? I, I,
1: my first rail of crystal meth, my buddy gave me a big red rail. I was 13 years old
0: and that was before weed or alcohol. No, or alcohol?
1: No, oh no, I'm sorry. I thought we we're talking narcotics. No, my any first, my first drink was 11 years old. My first joint was 12. Okay. Actually, my first joint was eight. I'm sorry. My uncle gave me a joint when I was eight years old.
0: Okay. So you were already uh, at a very young age. I mean, that's very young. Yeah. Experimenting or just messing around with it. And then uh, crystal meth at 13. How the hell did that come into your path?
1: I had neighbors uh, growing up that were older than me. I used to, hung, I used to hang out with kids older than me at that age mm-hmm. and my neighbor across the street, um, you know, a good friend of mine actually rest in peace. He's, he's dead now, but um, he, uh, I remember them, you know, uh, going in and out of the room and I was smoking weed over there all the time. I'm like, what are you guys doing in there? You know? And they're like, oh, don't worry about it. You know? And um, I saw it when they, like, what is that? They're like, that's, that's meth, bro. You don't, you don't want nothing to do with this life. And I, of course I'm like, yeah, actually I do. Uh, let, yeah. let, let's try that, you yeah. know? And, uh, that's, they were like, I don't know, bro. And it was kind of like, fuck you. Give me that straw mm-hmm. and, uh, get a rail and it was just on from there, man. Uh, so remember,
0: because we have an age difference, I mean, uh, I, would it be fair to say that during that time, what you had done, when you say crystal meth, it was like crank.
1: It was biker crank. Yeah.
0: Biker, okay. It was yeah.
1: bi- it was when it was meth was real.
0: Yeah. It was the stuff that, that just tears your nose apart for a couple of bleed.
1: You stay up for two days on one rail.
0: Yes. It was the
1: pure biker crank. Yeah. So
0: so you overcame your curiosity. I mean, it's a trip that you say like they told you you don't want to mess with this, although they're doing it. Like, how are we going to have the examples in our lives? Tell us like, we shouldn't do it, but they're doing it. Like my uncles used to smoke cigarettes and I'd say, why do you smoke? And they'd say, you shouldn't smoke. I'm like, you kidding me? I'm stealing yours secretly. So so now you got these guys that are doing that, and that, so when was did a did an addiction take place like right away?
1: Instantly, I was in I was in love with that high. And, and when, um,
0: were you still in? Sc- obviously, at what thirteen years? I was a
1: fresh going into my freshman year of high school.
0: And was school kind of put on the back burner? or Were you still able to attend?
1: I was able. I, I truly. As crazy as it sounds, I I I was able to actually graduate high school because of meth. Unt- that was the only, that was the only way I did my homework, bro. I'm sure you did, and I wrote those words perf-
0: perfectly. You but, weren't a um, you weren't a kid that needed to be on Adderall or anything, were you?
1: I was taking a different kind of Adderall. I probably did need to be on it, and, and meth was my medicine.
0: Right. Okay. You know, I,
1: I I I think I definitely have ADHD, and um. It's definitely progressed through the years, but I remember taking my buddy's Ritalin as a kid
0: right. as well all
1: okay. the time. Yep. So I was twe- I was just tweaking throughout all of my
0: teens. Right. And, and I uh, understand when you say like, that's the only way that you could finish school. Definitely. And I'm, we're not condoning this or promoting it, but like meth- oh, fuck you make you very alert and very, very attentive when it comes to s- studies and things like that. Like you really focus, you're hyper-focused. So I get that. Um, all right. So, did you, in your adolescence, even though, I mean, you finished high school at your regular high school, you didn't go to, uh, I went to
1: continuation school,
0: continuation school. Okay. And I, I was able to get
1: a diploma, but it was through like adult nighttime school or whatever.
0: Did you finish late or on time or what?
1: On on time, barely. Yeah. Okay. I, I, sophomore year is when it really kicked off with the whole drug scene. Quit. I wasn't, I wasn't, was I'm an athlete and I just dropped out of sports, started going full time into partying. And, uh, luckily I had a dad that was like, even though he, my dad was always, you know, drinking, uh, he, you know, he would always, he was always strict about, uh, if you're on, if I'm under his roof, you're going to go to school, you're going to get your homework done. And I was barely, I'm a C minus guy. I barely scratched the surface of, of graduation. You know,
0: I understand. Okay. Now, did you, uh, in your adolescence ever get in trouble with, the authorities to the point where you had to get locked up in juvie.
1: No, I never. I, I, I was arrested once in my teens in Newport beach. I was drunk driving and I was 16 years old and um, they didn't, they didn't charge me with a DUI or breathalyze me or nothing. We had a bunch of weed in my car, a few friends and they just basically were kind of cool about it. They, they, check, they made me go to the Newport police station right. and my dad came and picked me up from there. But they didn't charge me with anything. I didn't get arrested until I was 18 years old.
0: 18. Okay. And then, so when you, you had siblings too growing up?
1: Yeah, I have two younger brothers. One of my brothers who's very close to me was two and a half years apart from me. Uh So he was like going down that same path as me at the same kind of time. And and then my little brother, seven years apart from me, and he kind of learned from me and my middle brother, like, fuck that, you know? Yeah. Um, so. so
0: you're the oldest brother out of these guys. I'm the oldest. I see pictures of some of your, I think it's your brother, a lot of like uh, Facebook pictures. Like he's with your family. You guys are very close. Is that the second one? That's Yeah. The second and third one are now
1: sober and Alcoholics Anonymous. Oh, love thank, that. thank you, God. So. I love
0: that. I love that. So. All right. So at 18, you said you went to jail. What'd you go to jail for?
1: Grand theft auto. I, uh, what did,
0: that, did that happen in Santa Ana?
1: Uh, somewhere. I think it was orange. I, I stole a car, was joyriding it. You know, we stripped it out and, uh, they got my prints or what I forgot exactly what happened, but I, I remember, uh, went into talk the orange, the orange, an orange detective wanted to have a, a word with me. And I went in there all, you know, with a bunch of confidence, like, what do you, what, what do you want? You know? And, uh, He's like, well, I want you to turn around and put your hands behind your back. That's what I want, you know, and uh, they booked me in on this Grand Theft Auto. It was my first. Back then, I got 30 days for that because it was my first defense. Mm -hmm. And uh, but then it was on and cracking from there, man. I was a huge part of like the underworld of the meth world in in Orange County and just Mm -hmm. started committing crimes to support my habit. I had no money. I didn't like working a normal job. I could never, I could never keep a normal job because those hours required me to sleep, and uh, I didn't like sleeping. And um, yeah, so I just got into the underworld and started right. doing everything we do to do that.
0: And that's why I I feel like we've run in the same circles and we've experienced a lot of the same things and people is because I I remember the underworld of of the meth that was being mass produced that was being distributed all throughout o c and l a and and uh, and I was very involved in that uh, in many different ways not and I'm not saying this to show off, but I, I I'm saying it because um it's like you were like we were dancing with the devil, you know what I mean like absolutely hanging out with certain types of people that I know our mothers didn't raise us to be around or demons. To, we were Total hanging out. Demons. We were I saw, demons. I saw people, some of my best friends growing up, that really got into that before me. Um, I would, you almost would see like a, a skeleton, like look in their faces, like like de- demonic, like they'd been possessed. Yep. And I ended up like getting into that shit and getting pretty possessed too. The stuff really consumed me for a long time. So I get it. I, I understand that all too well. It's it's a trip now for us to be sober and seeing all these kids getting into fentanyl and opiates because. Yes, there was opiates around. Yes, there was heroin around. Yes, we we, we mess with that stuff. But like when you're in the meth world, it's a whole other animal.
1: It takes you to parts of the, the mind that no other drug can really get you there when you've been up for too long and Right. It opens up windows that are super evil. Did you ever um experience psychosis? Oh, absolutely. Shit got very weird in the Sh- end for me. Shadow
0: people sketched out
1: yeah all the all the three-letter law enforcement agencies monitoring me surveilling me i got to a point you walk in my apartment you had to remove the battery from your phone while you're in my house you know and um i remember when we used
0: to be able to take the battery out of our phone uh, like, exactly
1: really <laughs> and take the chip out too while you're at it yeah yeah yeah, exactly and um and don't yeah uh, I it, it i i definitely was that guy um I I, I I I talk a lot about in my story and recovery how I would get released from prison and I would go into my wherever I'm living and lock the door again and I'm locked up again stuck right. in this fucking hell
0: like a yeah. personal a personal prison which a is personal even,
1: prison which is worse
0: worse than being in in, in the joint yeah okay so now uh, question for you I want to know um uh, were you shooting it were you smoking it were you snorting it what, what that uh, whole
1: all of it. I, I, of star-
0: it. I started with sh- snorting.
1: I, I mm-hmm. graduated to smoking. I started belly bombing it, to, you know, putting it in soft gel capsules. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've boofed it.
0: <laughs> I've slammed it. I've done it all. Okay. So the, the first time you ever decided to slam it, was uh-huh. there a... Why did you do it? And was there a fear behind it? Abs- well, I remember my friend, my older friend
1: and his girl they were, they, they slammed. And, uh, I remember it it was that it was that I was at that point in my addiction. It's time to graduate smoking. It's not really giving me that rush I'm looking for. What's it like slamming, bro? Oh, you don't once again, same exact guy who gave me my first rail. You don't want to try this, bro. This is like, yeah, yeah, I do actually want to try it, you know? And, um, he gave, he gave me my first shot and I literally remember, uh, I felt like a rocket ship taken off into space, man.
0: And how old and were you when this happened?
1: I was uh 17.
0: Jesus Christ. That young, huh? 17. Now, uh when you were were you getting into any other stuff yet? Had you done heroin because I know you tried. Me.
1: Yeah, heroin was a, is a big part of my story. After I started going to prisons where heroin really came in, but I did I remember a, a couple of friends in the neighborhood uh older homies were like, uh, "I'd be coming down off meth and they're like, Hey hey youngster, take a couple of rips of this to relax, you know, and I started smoking heroin when okay. I would come they would it would usually be after a, a nice run to relax and get fall asleep and uh and then uh that was kind of my only experience there and then I started using it daily um in my twenties
0: right now but back then and still maybe to this day a lot of the people in various parts of Orange County that didn't, that weren't from Santa Ana, if they wanted to get drugs, they would go to Santa Ana. Right. But you're already living in, in, in SA, like already growing up there. So it sounds like it wasn't really hard for you to obtain it. Like you didn't need to go down to, to the barrio or to the hood to be able to try to pick it up off the streets. Like you, you had other ways of, getting I,
1: it. I, I grew up with the connects, right. You right. know, they're, they're living right there next to me. And, and, uh, so really yeah, it yeah i i did not have an issue finding the drugs they were there the houses we we i remember the these houses these secret tweaker pads i would hang out in right. people would come from the other cities of orange county to our house right and we would we would rob them <laughs> or we would just do fucked up shit you know or, right, or right. sell or sell them drugs right and, and right send them on their way
0: now okay so you said pr- prison like i know at 18, you, you went to jail. It was 30 days. What what was the mentality behind your lifestyle? I mean, obviously, if you're engulfed in drug addiction, then, you know, meth definitely will produce a criminal mind, right? Like you yeah. could lie and cheat and steal and, like, we'll do all that stuff when we're on that. So after your 30-day uh, mini stint, like how soon after were you starting to get locked up again or finding your way into uh, – Prison?
1: Once I started getting arrested, I would never stay on the streets for longer than the longest I would stay out is if I was going through a drug rehab instead of going to jail. Um, but I would stay out for a couple months here, a couple months there, in and out of county jail, got on felony probation. And then back then, if you get a couple of uh, violations, they would send you to prison. I got on my second violation or third. They gave me 16 months in prison at the age of 21 and uh that was when my prison career started and i never i would just go straight to the joint from there all the way up until the age of 35
0: so when you would get out where would you stay with your family at your parents house or did you have your own spot uh it depended on
1: what 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 time frame but usually i would get out stay with mom and dad like a true gangster for a few weeks you know <laughs> and then um and then i would usually wow hook up with the homeboys and the homegirls and, you know, go to whatever dope pad was cracking and had the most shit I can take. Right. Mm -hmm. And for free and, um, or hotels, um, or, or, uh, halfway houses. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's been times where I got out for three days. I would go. I remember one time I got out from a couple of year term. I ate some barbecue (laughs) with my mom and dad, I hooked up with a chick, had some sex, did some dope, committed a crime, and caught a new term in three fucking days.
0: It's usually how it was too, like crime bell crime type of, of stuff. Right. Like you're out on bail, but okay, so what about um did you were you introduced to recovery at all during these times? Like was there any panels that came through the prisons or the jails and, and to where you like got the message of, of a 12 step community?
1: Yeah, real quick, say hi, Seamus, and then you got to go, buddy. Okay, say hi. Hey, buddy, this is my son, Seamus. All right, nice. dude, I'll be down in a minute. Right, go, go, ask Todd. Okay, so um, I uh,
0: one more time on
1: that question. Any, That's
0: any, true. any time that there was panels or twelve step, yes, people like uh, delivering a message to you when you were locked up to where recovery was a possibility.
1: I learned about recovery when I was sixteen years old. I was in Chapman Hospital. My mom and dad put me in rehab there, um, in orange. And I was introduced to, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous in the 12 steps. I had no idea back then what, what the hell that meant. I just knew it was like, okay, man, like, I'm, I'm like, we're, we're staying off drugs for a minute here. I'm, uh, hanging out with some chicks, uh, drinking some coffee, smoking some cigarettes, And, um, that's all I kind of knew. Like I knew, but I felt in my spirit, like I literally knew, I'm like, we're not yet, but we'll be back for you guys someday. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then there was a a couple of stints of rehabs, uh, alternative sentencing stuff or, or just trying to get the heat off of me or having a moment where I'm like, man, I really want to get sober. And then like that moment would pass in about five days
0: when and you then, say, um, when you say alternative sentencing was any of those like Nancy Clark type places or you- uh
1: like the rock center
0: okay uh, back okay.
1: when it was back before it became northbound um but yeah i went through the rock center in garden grove in the early 90s i went a couple times t- i went to woodland uh in the early 2000s and i remember woodland was like the really first time that i uh had kind of like gotten a sponsor and like started seeing like but I still, my mind was not ready to receive the solution. I remember like working steps, but there was no power in it. I was still living with the same character and still behaving in the same manner without drugs, and eventually I relapsed.
0: You Do you know? think that's because you weren't quite desperate enough yet? Like you, had I wasn't bit-
1: desperate. There wasn't that. None of that. I had. I didn't have any consequences yet. Where I was like, oh shit, my life's in a state of emergency, man. I. I it was all like I didn't care. That that's the bottom line with no with no spiritual connection of any kind,
0: and then when you would get locked up, obviously you know like uh, we all have experience with this in California uh, facilities, you have to run with a race card. So obviously you had to run with the whites, correct? I did, yeah. I I, it, I stuck and, and, to that's just how it were, is, yeah. And when you say you were in 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 the system from you know a very young age up until thirty five, like how much prison time did you do?
1: I did a total of, uh, in and out, uh, I did a total of about six to seven years incarcerated.
0: Okay. And
1: uh, then life, life on the installment plan.
0: Right. Right. Now down the line, you, something happened where I think you ended up in Mexico and some, something happened. <laughs> yeah. So up.
1: yeah, sure. Um, I, uh, I met some, I was on a, uh, I was on a yard in, in Centinella, uh, state prison and, uh, this yard was, housed with guys that were on INS holds. right So they were they were finishing their prison sentence and they were getting sent back to Mexico. So I met a couple of them in there and um one day I was in TJ after I'd been released, I'm down there with some friends getting all doing what we do in Tijuana, right? And yeah. uh, getting all messed up and I ran into one of those guys and they're like, "Hey Tyson." And I'm like, "What's up, man?" And and then they're like, "Hey hey uh, what are you doing down here i'm like i'm fucking doing whatever i want you know and they're like uh you want to make some money and get you know get some free dope and i was like yeah that sounds fucking great man and um anyways they uh got me connected with like doing some uh doing some runs for them and their families down there and uh you know crossing some stuff over the border and uh long story short they got sold out to the uh to the federales by somebody else. I don't know the whole details. The bottom line is I'm sitting there in this compound one day and the federales come through the gates with ski mask and AK 47s. And I have them pointed in my face and uh, I'm thinking to myself, shit, I'm going to die today, man. And um, you know, and they, uh, anyways, they they're demanding this and that I don't have any, the money they're asking for. And so they, they throw me into the back of this Dodge Ram with a mask over my face. And they told me to face my head down and they, I, I could feel two, uh, two of the head butts of the, uh, or the heads of the AK 47s against my skull. And I'm like, these guys are going to drive me up to the hills of TJ and fucking kill me today, man. Right. And um, so they drive me and all of a sudden we stop and, and I'm like waiting for it to end. And they take the mask off me and, and we're at a, a federal holding facility. And I get out They booked me in under, uh, you know, for transportation and a couple of other things. And uh, I'm looking at some time in prison for that, right? In Mexico. And uh, they transferred me over to La Mesa Tijuana Federal Prison, right? And um, I go to this prison, and it's just an unreal experience for an American, let alone a a citizen of Mexico. It was just like, I've been through a bunch of prison time in California, and you can't even, it's a joke. It's a joke. No comparison, yeah. um, so I'm like in a place where like you get treated like I guess you should be treated as a prisoner. And uh, and I just some of the stuff that happened in there was just unbelievable. Like my first experience, you know, you walk in, there's these crazy cartel guys fucking with everybody who's new. And they're like telling you, pull your pants off and, uh, you know, and, and trying to humiliate you, you know, and I I just it's crazy i say this but luckily i had done time in, in california prison so i knew how to had how to how to survive and i'm like i'm not taking my pants off motherfucker you know and um i remember just hitting one of them and getting beat up and this guy bit through my chest and i got an infection and almost died and um i remember uh these guards were going around with cigarettes and they were like i'm like how do i i was telling the guy how the hell do i get one of those cigarettes and he's like you gotta let him hit you over the back with his baton and um I'm like, give me two, give me two of them, you know? And, um, so they come over and, and the first, the first hit, I got lucky and he breaks it over my back and I, and he had to give me both cigarettes for one, one lashing, you know? And I was like, all right. Like, I felt like, oh, that was a God shot, you know? And, um, anyways, uh, I remember some of the riots that went down in there and some of the fights and just some of the gruesome things that you can imagine that would happen in a Mexican prison. Was there
0: other Americans around you?
1: there was one, there was one American cell there. And I, uh, near the end of my sentence, I, I, I was able to, to move into this American cell, but the majority of the time I was there, I was just kind of like stuck trying to learn the, 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 language and how to communicate. And, and, uh, I, luckily I, I ran into the federale who had arrested me and he was in there for corruption. I saw him through the fence at medical. And I told my attorney that I just, seen the guy who fucking arrested me and the the judge was lenient on me and, and gave me the, the minimum two years. And if it's anything, I was looking at six years. If it's anything under five years, you can bail out instead of doing your time in New Mexico. And I was able to get out on 500 American dollars instead of doing two years. And I, I, I ended up waiting five months to get released before all this happened. So I was in there for five months. And it was, uh, was there funny. a lot of
0: fear for that five months? Like, shit, I'm going to fucking be in here for a long time. And two years, it feels like 20 years now. I had
1: completely it up, man. I was like, I'm going to sit because if you get any day over five years, you have to do every time, to- every day of your sentence. So I was going to be there for six
0: years straight. And, and how, um, how'd, met- you, how'd you get the 500 bucks? Something like family. My family sent it for me. You were able to communicate with your family. Did they let yeah, you? Yeah, they,
1: they have cell phones in there. Oh, the inmates
0: have them? The or? inmates, the inmates yeah, have them. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 They, have,
1: they, they have, imagine if you have money in TJ, what you can have brought in there. <coughs>
0: For sure. What year Everything.
1: was this? What year was this? This was 2005.
0: Jesus. So yeah. it was like a, they had flip phones.
1: Flip phones. Was which, not, it, which, like, which
0: they probably snuck in like in the sphincter.
1: Um, you know what? They 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 get a lot of visits there from their wives. Okay, so people I think they, and the guards bring it in. You could pay. I used to pay this guard five bucks a day, and his 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 wife would make me homemade Mexican food.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah, it was it was crazy in there. It's just a different. Like, I so, thought I was doing big things with a fresh avocado on a daily basis. You know. Yes.
0: Yeah. 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 Uh, so, was this what changed your life, or what happened
1: when you got out? Nope you think it would, right? Right. I I remember running back to the border when I got released and I like was so grateful to be home. And I had gratefulness for about 12 days, you know, and, um, I went right back on drugs and started partying again. And I wasn't even allowed to go back to the country of Mexico. I I was on probation. And if I got caught going over there, I was going to get 12 years. And, um, so I stayed away from there until I got off probation. Then right after probation ended, I started going back over there and doing the same exact stuff, and luckily I, ne- I didn't get in trouble. But I was—I did a couple more prison sentences in in America. I actually got really caught up in the oxycontin uh, a- epidemic. The eighties? Uh, no, no, this was in two thousands. No, um, I'm talking about the the oxy. Oh 80s. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was doing the eighties, I, I, but I was—I uh, was doing the Roxy thirties when they okay, were yeah, when they yeah. were real. And yeah. I used to get hundreds and hundreds of them from dirty doctors all over the area, yeah. which most of them are doing prison time now. Yeah, and um, I, uh, I had a, you know enough enough pills to to feed twenty cancer patients, and uh, and I was just super strung out, and and like I remember uh, I was in such a bad place I actually robbed a pharmacy in South Orange County. <laughs> and, um, I got, I robbed a CVS and Dana point, man. And I was all fucking, I was on 20 Xanax bars that day. And I was just like out of my mind. And, uh, luckily I got beat up by the police and, uh, some security guards. And, and I, and I truly believe now that that was God intervening in my life because I would have probably ran out of that store and there was cops ready to open fire on me. I had a weapon on me and I was like, it was a suicide mission if I'm really honest about it, you know? Um, cause like, even though I was like blacked out subconsciously, I knew what I was doing. And, um, and I remember hitting the safe in the CVS and I was going to just go on a suicide mission or I didn't know what was going to happen, but luckily they stopped me in my tracks. I never made it out of the store. And luckily them beating me up actually gave me an opportunity to, uh, get out of prison early because they thought I was going to sue them. And, um, they, they had me sign this thing. If we give you the minimum sentence, you can't sue us. And I was like, fuck, sounds good to me. So I did two years on that. Got out, still running around. But I was hitting my bottoms at this point. I was mentally losing my, my grip of reality. And that was what's scary to me. Losing everything physically doesn't matter to me. But when I started losing my grip on reality, I, I it was like God's way of bringing me to a bottom that I wasn't okay with. You know, like we, we use, we, we kind of use the term J cat loosely, right? A person who's mentally unstable. I was, I was a J cat in the end with on my drug. I, I, I went into a psych ward and, um, this was all from meth induced psychosis and just doing so many different pharmaceuticals, never sleeping or eating properly and just being out of my freaking mind, man. And, um, the final, the final bottom for me, I had gotten arrested, uh, I got busted with a bunch of fake cash in uh, Laguna Niguel, and um, the the Secret Service came to my to my uh, scene. That's what they do. Yeah, and I'm like, "What are you guys doing here? Aren't you supposed to be protecting the president?" And um, (laughs) they're like, "No, we protect fucking the money's currency, buddy. (laughs) We protect the money." uh, Yeah, so I'm like, "Oh shit!" And and I wasn't no big fish, you know. I'm just doing my tweaker bullshit. And, right. um, luckily that, that, that kind of like, it wasn't enough for the, for them to pick it up on a federal level. It was like 6,000 in cash. And that's a joke to them. And, um, anyways, I had a, they did charge me with a cotton, a heroin. Right. And, um, I got my last term of 16 months for a cotton, a heroin. And, um, the girl I was with, uh, anyways, long story short, she took the fall for the cash, right and um she didn't have a record or whatever and and uh i'm in prison and that's when the laws changed and it became a a mis a felony to a misdemeanor for possession right prop, prop 47 i was one of the first people released on prop 47 out of prison and uh, part of my conditions was to go to a rehab uh to be you able know, what to what year was this this was in 2014
0: crazy that there was a time that you could be walking down the street in california and have a piece of heroin or a piece of meth in your pocket, and you'd be looking at prison time.
1: I got a prison sentence for a cotton of heroin in 2014. But then all of a sudden,
0: it totally changed to where it's not even a fucking slap on the wrists anymore. They laugh at that now, right? It's like a, like a, they give you a, a class to sign up to and learn about drugs. <laughs>
1: I, every every uh, All these laws that have changed since I got sober, which I'm grateful for now, it just shows how serious I am, are everything I always dreamed of when I was getting high, right? never going to jail for drugs, getting free drugs in jail. That they they pass out suboxin
0: like candy in there now. Suboxin is a very commonly used drug in jail right now. Subutex, and I think they're even giving it to people that don't even have an opiate addiction, It's just no. because they want to be on something.
1: And they want to get free honey buns, you know, like it's it's uh yeah. Explain it, it's, that.
0: What do you say they want to get free honey buns? What
1: does that well, mean? If you get you you get suboxin in there, right, and you uh you you sneak it back to your cell, you sell your strips instead of using right. them. And you get,
0: so you can get honey buns that you you get
1: commissary commissary. Like you can, you're basically
0: slinging Suboxone in there.
1: Suboxone's your hustle. for your commissary. Okay. Exactly. Now,
0: now, uh, you said that when you were going to get released, you were one of the first ones that was going to get released in 2014. You said the end of 2014, there was a condition that was, that was attached to that with going to treatment. I needed to go to a treatment center. And this is the fucking part that I, I want to hear from you, especially, Tyson, because... It's God, bro. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I'm going to tell you this right now. The, the reason this matters a lot to me, first of all, is because I what you're about to talk about, where you went, matters to me. It fucking matters a lot to me because I love the place you ended up going to. I love that you're a product of that place, and that's where your recovery was, I believe... Where the seed was truly planted and growing, and what made you the person that you are today. So tell me what were they sent you.
1: So they, uh, I, I told them I'd like to go as close to the beach as possible, of, of course. course. Right? And um, <laughs> they said we have <laughs> we have this place in uh, uh, Costa Mesa uh, called Yellowstone Recovery, hmm. and right. I said, and I go, and but the my parole officer's like, but it says woman's, woman's recovery. And I'm like, hell yeah, let's go there, right? And um, he's like, I don't think guys can go there, right? And I'm like, well, and, but he's like, it's saying it's co-ed. So they found out, yeah, it, is, it originally started as an all-woman's program. Right, right, right. Now honey all- honey
0: made it, when when Honey Thames first started Yellowstone, it, the intention was to help troubled women.
1: Absolutely. It was the woman's Charlie Street, basically. Right, right, free, right, right. A free 10-day detox. Honey is a big part of uh, helping save my life. Uh, I'm very grateful to that lady, and um, she has shown me a, a, a lot of love and, and care, and gave me some second chances that helped transform my life. So, um, amazing stuff. So, anyways, uh, they release me. I go to, into Yellowstone from prison, and um, and I uh, begin my recovery journey. I still was like not a hundred percent surrendered, if I'm honest. Right, I'm like, this is cool. I want to get off parole. I'm out of prison, man. Like, and I kind of wanted to quit getting high, but I wasn't quite all in yet. So I get off, I go, I get to 30 days and I get to go out on job search, right? My first day on job search, I call my ex chick, come pick me up. You know, I want to have some sex and do some dope. I had no defense yet. I had no defense. And, uh, she picks me up, we get high and I'm like, I get back and I, and I get back to the house and I get away with it. Right. And I'm like, and I remember my friend Kelson, she's like, uh, I'm I'm nodding out in our Sunday meeting. I know like, Kelson very well. Yeah, you know our friend Kelson, right? Love Kelson. Yeah, and she's uh she comes up to me. She's like, "You all right, Tyson?" And I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm fucking tired, dude. Leave me alone, you know." And um, anyways, I remember uh going out. I took off, went on another couple week run, and uh, honey and and the uh, the parole coordinator. There's they called me. They had, somehow I got a hold of them. They're like, "We want to give you another chance, Tyson." Like, And I was like, in my mind, I'm like, all, all, all anybody's ever told me my whole life is you're, you fucking loser. You know, you're, you're never going to be anything, but this, these people were like, we want to help you. So I went back there and that is where the true surrender happened for me right then and there, that second chance. And that's what I call my intervention company. Second chances because of that moment in my life. I went back. They said, "We love you. We want to see you change." And I and I truly wanted to right then and there from that love and compassion from another human being. And I remember saying, "You know what, Tyson?" I looked at myself in the mirror, and I and I was like, "I'm fucking done, man. I'm hundred percent going to work this program." If if my life, if I, how if old I, were you right then? Thirty-five. That was January 12, thousand and fifteen. When I checked back in, and my sobriety date is January thirteenth, two thousand and fifteen.
0: It's interesting to me because, uh, in like 2010, 2011, I I worked in this kind of bougie rehab in Newport beach. And like, whenever we had somebody that would act out or do something stupid or relapse, we would send them to to Yellowstone. Um, I actually had, that's when I first met honey, we'd send them there to be able to, to, to really see like, get their uh, gratefulness back. (laughs) Yeah. Get some fucking gratitude because you get these people that are like straight out of prison in, in there that are really hardened individuals. And and they'd come back very fearful and be like, fuck, I'll behave, I promise. But it's it's a trip to hear that you, who already was in the prison system, went into a place like that and still had that disease that was still manifesting itself that took you out one more time but brought you back. And the way that Honey loves is is so – she just has a way about her, man. She's such a soft-spoken good woman that really, really wants to see the best – uh, for, for whoever that she encounters or comes into her path. So it, it it's so good that you, you went in and actually, and there, I see some people that are on here right now that, um, uh, like Lisa Tuman, she's a product of Yellowstone. Hi, a, lot Lisa. Of good, a lot of good friends of mine that, uh, went through Yellowstone that really truly got their lives back and they go back and, and give back. And I know that you go back and give back. Like you, you, you had me speak on a I, panel I, there.
1: I'm on the board of directors at Yellowstone now. Love that. And I'm really grateful for Honey inviting me to be that. And yeah, I used to work admissions there as one of my first jobs to get introduced to working in recovery and you guys, all you bougie centers in the area would send your guys and girls to us. And there's a lot of people I work with now in the industry today that came up to me and said, like my friend Jennifer Leone came through there and was like, what the hell is this place? And And she remembers me being nice to her. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, th- uh, there's all kind, yeah. There's all kinds of stories like that where, yeah, go ahead, baby, you can have candy. And um, we uh, yeah, it's just a, it's just a great place when you uh, are kind of going through that, like uh, you know, telling telling staff what to do in these bougie places, and then you come to Yellowstone, we tell you shut the fuck up, right? <laughs> and, and they're like, you can't talk to me like that, <laughs> yeah, right? And um, right. yes, we can. As a matter of <laughs> fact, pack your shit and get the fuck out. You know? And um
0: it's a it's a it's a privilege to be there because it's a non profit. It's not like they really need you there for your insurance policy or anything like that. It's like you either you either follow this or you don't, right? Yeah, there's uh,
1: not there's not there's not like yeah, there it's all it's pretty much transformed into it's all people uh coming out of uh jails and prisons now. They've kind of but but it's been such a perfect hybrid there. Because you're, you're able, you get some guys that are like, they're not like Malibu rich, but they have, their family still has a little bit of money where they were able to send them through and they were get to experience some, what, what bottom is in alcoholism. Right. You know, and I think it's a great experience for anybody that's trying to get sober.
0: I love Yellowstone. Awesome. So you, you took this thing by the horns. You, uh, you're now what, how many years sober? I have a little over seven years sober now. Seven years sober. You got married in recovery, or were you already married before?
1: No, I I got married in recovery and divorced in recovery. And how many um, kids do you have? I have two beautiful children, Seamus and Liv. My son's five. My daughter's going to be three in August. And um, you know, uh, I I love their mom. Uh, even though we weren't able to to live together and make that work, we mm-hmm. we 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 put the kids in our in, our, in the love of of recovery first so that we can be good good co-parents to these children. And uh, all they're going to ever know is love.
0: Love that. I, I love that. Now, uh, over the years, you said you have an intervention company. I want to get into that in just a second. But real quick, uh, you're now working at Asana. Uh, it's Asana Recovery out of Costa Mesa, correct?
1: Yeah, I work at Asana Recovery. Uh, we you, have. What do you do over there? I'm the director of clinical outreach. Okay. So I basically do all the business development. Uh, for the local area. And I work with all a bunch of different wonderful programs. uh, And I have a good relationship with a lot of people throughout Orange County and surrounding areas.
0: I love that very much. Good job. I'm very, very proud of who you are, who you've become. I really, truly honor our friendship. I love hanging out with you whenever we meet up. We're, We're overdue for a time to meet up. Tell us a little bit about your intervention company and what kind of services you provide.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I want to give a shout out to uh the owner of Asana. His name is Mark Shandro. And he 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 uh he gave me the opportunity to further some of my education to be more effective and help other people and he helped me get my intervention uh certification through uh Dr. Kali Estes in Florida mm-hmm. and uh the Addictions Academy, right? And I went through their course and uh and uh you know uh just some of my experience like being like a, I was kind of a foot soldier in the drug world. Like I wasn't ever scared to kick somebody's fucking door down. Right. And now, now I've transformed that into the, to, to, to kick down to get them sober. Yes. And yes. Usually when I perform an intervention, the guy's looking at me like, fuck, I'm not getting by this guy, man. Right. And um, you know, and I'm like, and I look at him like we subconsciously talked to him. I'm like, yeah, you're not leaving today, bud and um anyways uh (laughs) just straight up (laughs) just straight up like this is what it is man but um i uh i got i i uh i've been doing admissions for since i was 90 days sober which i wouldn't recommend that to anybody but it was it was (laughs) what it was for me i was ready and uh i've noticed i'm very effective with dealing with families and their loved ones and Mm -hmm. uh i thought to myself some people have always told me you should do interventions tyson like So I, 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 you know, I've, I've had, I haven't really grown or become like, that's kind of a side gig for me. It's a word of mouth to my friends and family, but, uh, I've had an opportunity to do a couple of them and it's a powerful way for a family to show how much they love their loved one, you know, and it's also a way for them to make peace before they possibly die. It's Mm -hmm. like a, it's like a eulogy in person is what it is. If the person doesn't get it.
0: Yep. Yep. Awesome, awesome, awesome! It's been good to have you on here. It's uh, we've been talking about it for a while. Finally, we made it happen. Um, yeah, I want to I want to hang out with you more, man. Like I, I, I dig you down, buddy. Let's I've do it. Enjoyed our conversations. Uh, it's been good to hear about your recovery and and how you actually pulled out of all that madness. That's that's some crazy shit, man. I'm happy I'm happy you went over everything.
1: I'd like to also give one other shout out on part of a foundation um, called the Knoll Family Foundation the lead singer of sublime that passed away. His name is Bradley Noel and, uh, I'm on their board of directors as well. And we're getting ready to open a, a nonprofit house called Bradley's house. And, um, it's just an honor and a privilege to be a part of that as well. And I'm a, I also want to give a shout out to to Charlie street. I, that place transformed my life. I'm i I'm one of the committee men there now, and it's a place that is completely for fun and for free. And, uh, it just has transformed and given so many men a chance, a second chance at life. So I'm really grateful to that foundation as well.
0: Great shout outs. I, I, I got to say, Charlie Street, for those that don't know, is a 12-step uh, house. It's in Costa Mesa, California. It's an indigent uh, house that's actually been revamped, and it's in, in good standing. It's, it looks nice. It's well put together. It's uh, usually a 10-day detox. If somebody who's less fortunate, that can't go to actual treatment, Uh, or has been to lots of treatment centers and doesn't have the means to go to treatment anymore, um, you can go to Charlie Street and hope, God willing, get your life back. Then three strikes, you're out. You can only go to Charlie Street three times in your life.
1: Well, you get get some guys that go, I've been to Charlie Street three times.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Because every once in a while, somebody in there is a nice guy and lets you back. All right, cool. Well, it's good to have you here today. Happy Father's Day in advance. I know that tomorrow's going to be a special day for you, and I really, really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. You're a good man, Tyson. Keep doing what you're doing, and I'll call you soon.
1: One more thing, Pez. Yes. Anybody that's silently suffering listening to this podcast, I want to encourage you to please talk to somebody. You're not alone, and that your mind is the worst place to sit alone suffering. So reach out and tell somebody about it.
0: We're here to help. Beautifully said. All right, brother. Well, have a good rest of your day, and uh, we'll talk soon. And thanks to all that tuned in. Have a good one. All right.